Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. So, I want you, if you would, to stand with me uh, out of respect to the reading of the scripture. I'm going to take you to five books and one verse from each of the books. So listen carefully as I read. The title of the message today is God's Invitation to a Resurrection. I want you to listen, first of all, to Job. I want you to hear what Job said hundreds and hundreds of years ago. In the 19th chapter, verse 25 and 26, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Now listen how David said it. But God, this is the 49th chapter, the 15th verse of the Psalms. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Listen to Isaiah, 25th chapter, verse 8. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears off all faces. Listen to Daniel in the 12th chapter, verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. One final one from Ezekiel, 37th chapter, verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold all my people, I will open up your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. May God bless his word. Would you be seated? Job asked a penetrating question in the 14th chapter, verse 14, when he said, if a man die, shall he live again? If you were to take the book of Job and divide it up in its simplest form, and someone wanted to know what does the book of Job teach? Here is a good man, a righteous man, none more righteous on the face of the earth. And all of a sudden, he lost his health, he lost his family, he lost his wealth. You remember all of those horrible things began to happen to him. But if you follow that story out, you know that God returned double everything he lost as he faithfully lived the life that God had planned for him to live. But he asked a question. In the 14th chapter, verse 14, Job asked, If a man die, shall he live again? Now there are three things in Job that you can learn. Number one, God has a right. You say he's a righteous man, a good man, then why did he have to suffer like he did? God has a right. But the second thing you'll learn is that God has a reason. God has a reason. God has a purpose for everything he allows to happen in your life. And by the way, everything that does happen in your life, he either causes it to happen or he allows it to happen. But he has a reason. He said, my ways are higher than your ways. But there's a third thing. God has a reward. You see, he has a right, but just because he has a right, he doesn't push himself on you. He has a reason for the way he treats you and what he allows to happen to you and where he leads you. But in the background, he has a reward. 
a wonderful, wonderful reward. Now, I want to let you in on the secret if you are here and haven't been at Sagemont the last two Sundays. I started my Easter sermon three weeks ago, and I asked the people to be ready to just kind of help me explain the rest of it to those of you that are here for the first time. I'm going to give you just a few second summary. As I began to prepare the message for this Easter season, there's some things that popped up, like Job. God has a right, God has a reason, God has a reward. Let me tell you how it fits into the resurrection. There are three things that are involved in the resurrection. Number one, there was the night before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus Christ took his three best friends into the garden. Those that were closest to him, his disciples, if you please, Peter, James, and John, he said, I want you to pray. I've got a divine appointment with the Father. What was that divine appointment? He had a situation where for the first time in his life, the Father's will and his will came in direct conflict. He did not want to go to that cross, and three times he begged the Father, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want this. But then he said, nevertheless, yet not, not my will, but thine be done. And that night, that night, when Luke says, angel came, because he was sweating as drops of blood were flowing from his body. And Luke says that an angel came to comfort him. He could have died that night because the agony of the son to go against the will of the father was unbelievable. But he did, and from that moment, the crucifixion and the resurrection was just a matter of fact. It happened and it was exactly like the prophet said. It was exactly what the father wanted. Because you see, the next day there was that crucifixion. We talked about how that there was two thieves. One of them never repented. But one of them, Gethsemane experience, not my will but thine be done. He came to the will of the father and he said, Father, remember me. Lord, remember me. Lord. He said, he didn't say Savior. He didn't say Father God. He didn't say God. He didn't say the man upstairs. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And that moment, his will died. The will of the Father took over. And from that moment on, his crucifixion was not anything like the agony of the crucifixion of the other one who refused absolutely refused to go through a crucifixion and honor God. Then, today, the resurrection. Now, I want you to follow this closely. Many people tonight, tomorrow, this whole week, they will try to celebrate resurrection. Religious people I'm talking about. They will try to celebrate resurrection They'll try to separate, you know, Easter Bunny from all this kind of stuff. I mean, they'll struggle with all this kind of stuff. Should I do this? Should I do that? And so forth and so on. They want to celebrate the resurrection, but they don't want to go through Gethsemane, and they sure don't want to go through a crucifixion. They do not. They do not want to submit to the fact that you don't plan your own destiny. God plans it, and you either submit to it or you reject it. And when people, they struggle with the resurrection. Easter has 
absolutely no lasting meaning in our life unless we've been through a Gethsemane and a crucifixion. You cannot go and celebrate, praise the Lord, he is risen. You know what that means? That means that if he is risen, he's who he said he was. If he is who he said he was, he said, I'm the truth. If he says, I'm the truth, he said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. He said, unless you be crucified with me, you will never live. Not now, not ever. So you try to celebrate. You know, I don't like that cross stuff. I don't like that blood. I sure don't like the fact that God's will for my life isn't what I want. Well, you're not going to be able to celebrate the resurrection. Now, you can go through your emotions. You know, you can come to church. You can say a prayer. You can look for an egg, whatever you want to do. But you're not going to have any understanding of what it means for Jesus to have risen from the grave and how it affects your life unless you've been to a Gethsemane and to a cross. Now, I want you to hold on to that real carefully. We have all been invited to participate in a resurrection, not to just witness a resurrection. It's more than just looking at the empty tomb of Jesus. It is with great excitement looking for the fact that one day I will rise. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Who's the we? Those that have been to a Gethsemane and those that have been to a cross. And they've died to self in order that they can live for God. Matthew 16, 24. Listen to this. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Before you can celebrate Easter and understand what it means, you have to understand what it means to your personal life. If you're a born-again Christian, if you came to that point to where you said, I'm a sinner, I confess my sin, not only do I confess it and say I'm sorry for it, but I repent of it, I turn from it, and I start living a new life. And old things pass away, and all things become new. If you have been through that experience, the news of the resurrection is the greatest news you've ever heard because as Christ was raised from the grave, so shall we be also. However, to the unbeliever, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most horrifying fact that you ever heard. Because if he rose from the grave and you choose to do your thing, in your own way, not, not your will, Father, my will. Not what you think, Father, what I think. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's, the Father's, amen, and his total acceptance of the crucifixion on Calvary. And for us to be able to come up out of the grave, we too must do the very same thing. Let me ask you a question. Does the phrase life beyond crucifixion mean anything to you? Life beyond crucifixion. What do you mean by that, preacher? Does it mean anything to you? Do you know anything of a life where there was a moment in your life where you died to your selfish carnal 
will that you were born with. And you started living, not my will, but thine be done. Has that ever happened to you? Or do you want to go about arguing until the last breath you draw? That your way of thinking, even though it's in direct contradiction to the Word of God, is right and the Word of God is wrong. Does it make any sense a life beyond a crucifixion? Can you imagine what it'd be like if you got up and in the morning and said, I don't have a clue what's going to happen today, and God, I'm changing my whole prayer life. I'm not going to give you my itinerary. I'm not going to tell you who to bless and who to heal and who, who to, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say, not my will, but thine be done. But Father, if you're up to something, I'd like to get in on it. And all I want to know is, where you want me to do? I'm tired of trying to figure out what political party I'm going to be a part of. I'm tired of trying to figure out which denomination that I'm going to affiliate with. All I want to know is, Lord, what would you have me to do? Have you ever experienced anything like that? Do you really have to go out there and fight the world for that job that you want or that mate that you want? Can you walk away from a sale and say, oh, dear God, don't let anybody else come by this until I go talk to my wife or husband? And even go so far as to hide it on the rack so that somebody else won't find it. <laughs> you cannot handle a salesman telling you this is the only one we got in shop. This is the only one this color. This is the last one, the only one on this side of the Mississippi River. If you don't buy it right now, you're never going to get this deal again. Can you rest and say, you know what? If it's God's will, it's going to be here. Matter of fact, it may be here at a much better price the next time I come back. For God just to punish you for lying to me and just tempting me. You see, crucifixion is not, although, although, let me say this. Many of the apostles, if not all of them, became martyrs. Some of them were crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. There's Christians being crucified today. I'm talking about a literal crucifixion, like the Roman government did. But the crucifixion of your life is when you say, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, remember me. <laughs> I'm not going to try to make a case for my life. I'm getting exactly what I deserve. But Lord, remember me. Can you even imagine? Living a life where your will and your way doesn't matter one iota anymore. Can you imagine going out to eat at a place that you didn't pick? And you, and you honestly come away and say, you know what? That's about as good a meal as I ever had in my life, brother. Well, I'll tell you what. The potatoes sure weren't as good over at this place as we're over at that other place. You know? Oh, it's a wonderful life. Paul says, now I live. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God. Does that make any sense to you? Even if you're religious, does that make any sense to you? That it does, it's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. And you can just go about, it's calling walking by faith. 
And by faith, you know, all I know is I'm following Jesus. That's what this whole series has been about. I'm going to follow the Lord. Wherever he leads, I'm going. Even if I said I'd never go there, I'm going. Because that's what he wants me to do. A spiritual crucifixion leads a person to experience living in a new life where the old life has evaporated into nothingness. My goal is not to see how long I can live. My goal is not to see if I can make it to 150. My goal is one day at a time. Because if I live here, I'm going to live unto the Lord. If I die, I'm dying with the Lord. You see, when you get a hold of that, folks, you're going to have a brand new life. You may be able to call your psychiatrist and say, I know I've got five more years of appointments with you because I've been going to you 15 years, but counsel them. I don't care what you want me to do. I don't even care what I want to do. I found one that knows what I'm going to do, and I'm just going to follow them. And he makes no charges for his services. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. Boy, that's good stuff, folks. That's good stuff. If you had an early life when you just struggled, and you were like one of the thieves on the cross, really both of them, blaming your past, blaming your environment, blaming your parents, blaming this one, blaming that one. Can you come to that point like Jesus did in Gethsemane on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When a person decides to follow Christ, if the other preachers have not told you this, and the good ones have, But if you don't understand, if you're going to follow Christ, there's going to be a crucifixion. There's no other name and no other way. We've got to be crucified. We've got to have our stubborn will broken. And I don't care how many times you've been baptized. And I do not care who your great-grandfather was and how many preachers are in your family. It makes no difference. There must be a deny of self, take up a cross, and follow me. That's what we must get out at Easter time. You know, we hold on to things today, and they're so precious to us. Those that know me and my wife as well, we, it's been a lot of years we like to hunt. I like to hunt and fish. She, she don't care about fishing. But we had a lot of trophies. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But we had a lot of trophies, okay? And I read in one of Rick Warren's books where he said, this generation's trophies are the next generation's junk. So I called my (laughs) daughter-in-laws. Heirs, if you will, to Pumbaa and Nuna. I said... Do you want these two leopards in a tree? Do you want this 10-foot lion? Do you want this bear up in this tree? Guess what they did? They did what some of you have already done. They laughed. <laughs> I said, question answered. So we had an all-day auction. 
and Bass Pro and Gander Mountain and Cabela's are now my trophy rooms. Okay, this generation's trophies are the next generation's junk. See, a lot of us give our life and our time and our effort to doing things that'll turn to nothing. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you can't take your trophies to heaven, but you can take your grandkids to heaven, and you can take your brothers and sisters and your mom and your dad and your mate to heaven. You can take your friends to heaven because the way of the cross is open to whosoever will to come. As we look at back and think about the Lord Jesus Christ living on that higher plane. By the way, he lived 40 days after the resurrection. You do know that part, don't you? Pretty good 40 days. All of a sudden, people quit throwing rocks at him, quit cursing him, start, quit spitting on him. They threw anything away to attack him because he had risen as he said, and all of a sudden, he got the respect that was due him. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. You see, some of you are here tonight. Some of you are watching you're on the threshold of a brand new life. You're just one decision away from your whole past being forgotten and remembered no more. Just that close. And if you're willing to die to self and say, not my will, but thine be done, you can be born again on this Easter weekend. Joseph Arimathea, if you remember, gave Jesus his tomb. Remember that story? You do know that? He lived in a you know, borrowed tomb. Now, Joseph Arimathea was a very rich man. This rich man stepped up. Jesus had nowhere to be buried. He said, I got a, a corner spot. Got the best grave in the, in the cemetery. Big buck grave. He loaned it. Three days he rose. Three days later he rose. What do you think happened to the value of the tomb? Is there a more valuable tomb in the world than the empty tomb in Jerusalem? None. None. That's the way God does. When you give God what you have, God gives you what he has. You give God your old sorry life and God will give you a brand new life, a resurrected life, a spirit-filled life uh, where you don't even have to think anymore. Left brain or right brain, you don't have to think anymore. You can simply just walk by faith instead of by sight. You don't have to go around for the next 30 years and say, I didn't get to go to college because my mom and daddy couldn't afford it and all these people with silver spoon born in their mouth. I wasn't born rich and, and I wasn't like y'all and we hate each other in the world because of our class structure. But there's room at the cross for everybody. And none stand any higher. There's only one that died for sin. And he is Lord. He is master. You go to Gethsemane, your Gethsemane, you join Jesus in your crucifixion to self, and then you can celebrate resurrection with him. Quick question, how would your life change today? How would you like for it to change? If you were to just simply decide for the first time in your life, I'm going to follow Jesus 
and I'm just going to obey. So you've never found anybody that did that that regretted it. But what if you did it? What would happen to you? What would change? You would know that everything happening in your life was originating by him because you said, not my will, but thine be done. So, Lord, I know rather than bad news, I don't get any bad news. All the news I get is good news because I know who, who the deliverer is. And I am just walking with you. You see, instead of a long looking back, 2,000 years, or looking forward to when Jesus comes again and the dead in Christ will rise first, you could have your resurrection tonight. Just like that little girl, seven years old. She said, I want to give my heart to Jesus. And I was able to look her in the face with all the honesty in my being. And I knelt down and I looked her right in the eye and said, Honey, I'm 72 years old. And when I was seven years old, I prayed the prayer you just prayed. And I've never regretted it for one second. Never. Never. That's salvation. That's resurrection. That's crucifixion. That's Gethsemane. You can kill your physical life, but you can't kill your resurrected life. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And I want you to listen as I read to you from the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, and, and who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul said, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah and amen. That's what it's about, folks. That's what Resurrection Weekend is about. It's not about doing your little church thing. It is not about going through your ritualism and say, I know God just really pleased how good I am at this and how many times. Matter of fact, I was just thinking when I came in, this is my 64th time to be at church in a row on Easter Sunday or Easter weekend. I feel so good, you know, that kind of thing. No, I'm sorry, those records aren't being kept. You know what records are being kept? Have you been to Gethsemane? Have you been to the cross? If so, you're ready to celebrate. You, you'll wake up in the morning with your eyes that big around, maybe, saying, you know what? I'm fixing to see my first sunrise through resurrected eyes. I have met Jesus, who created that sun, and he lives within my heart. The highest life in all Universal history is God's life passing through death 
to us. The last enemy is death. You listen to me? I'm almost through. Your last enemy is death, according to Scripture. <clears throat> when you've been crucified with Christ, you've conquered that enemy. And if you've got that one conquered, you don't have to worry about anything coming. It's just a absent from the body, present with the Lord. Years ago, a young man named Ed, NASA engineer, came to my office at the invitation of a young man who was another very brilliant man who's still in our church and one of our deacons, who witnessed to this man at the Space Center. And this man had an argument for every theological thing. He did not believe there was a God. But he got him to come because this man liked to hunt and I liked to hunt. And he said, maybe y'all can talk. And he came to my office. I will not tell you the whole conversation except to tell you this. <clears throat> After we had talked for a long time, and I'd asked this brilliant man how much knowledge of all the knowledge and all the books and all the libraries in the world and also in that great big computer that fills a room out there at NASA, of all that's available, how much do you know? He said, maybe one-tenth of one percent. I said, I think you're ten times smarter than you think you are. I said, I think you might know one percent. And I want to ask you a question. You say there is no God, and you're doing it on intellectual. Intellectually, you say there is no God. You're that smart, there is no God. I said, let me ask you an intellectual question. Could God exist in the 99% of the facts that are available for you to know? Could God exist in the 99% that you already admit you don't know? Could that happen? His eyes got about that big. How's he going to answer that? He said, well, I got to. Yeah. Yeah, you think I'm 10 times smarter than I am, and I am going to live and die. Believing what I believe? He said, I guess that's true. I said, I'm telling you, it's true. And I tell you something else, Ed. I said, if you're right and I'm wrong, I'm better off than you are. If you're right, I'm better off than you are. I didn't come to see you. You came to see me because your life was falling apart. But if I'm right and you're wrong, you lose everything. Now, how do you like those odds? He said, I don't like them at all. He said, can you tell me how to be saved? I said, you bet you. And he was saved and baptized right here in this church. You know what it takes? A crucifixion. Not a smart aleck attitude of how smart you are. God says the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. God says my ways are higher than your ways. All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. And he wants to pass it on to us. As you go out the door, everybody needs a will. I tell people in our financial seminar, everybody needs a physician's directive. That's when you tell the doctor what to do if you're not able to tell them so your family doesn't have to. And everybody needs a power of attorney for this life. But there's something far more valuable at the time of death than a good will, a good physician's directive will, and a good power attorney. And that is an eternal life insurance promise from a resurrected Lord Jesus. That's what you need. You say, I can't afford the premiums. Already been paid. Amen. Yeah, but I know that's just for five years. No, no, it's paid in full by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been to Gethsemane and he prayed, not my will 
but thine be done. He went to Calvary and he said, it is finished. And then he rose from the grave and everybody said that was there, he is risen as he said. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. He came in the first time on a donkey to Jerusalem. The next time he will come to a throne. God will take care of his kids. Not only his only begotten son, but he'll take care of you and he'll take care of me. What he's saying to you, the Lord Jesus, what he's saying to the person sitting beside you, what he's saying to me, it's very simple. Follow me. Follow me. I've already set the pace. I've been to Gethsemane. I've been to Calvary. I've been to the grave. And now I'm by the right hand of the Father. Just follow me. You too can come sit at the right hand. But there's only one way. This book says... There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. His name is what? Jesus. Say it. Jesus. Jesus. And now say, he is risen. He is risen. One more time. He is risen. Our Heavenly Father, I just pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would fall on this place right now. This building is filled with people. If they were to die today, it wouldn't matter what the preacher would say and what the family would say. They sit here alive tonight knowing I've never been to Gethsemane. My will has never been broken. People know me as a strong-willed person. I've never been crucified with Christ. I just do what I do, and I do it better than anybody else. And that's the Spirit, Lord, and you know that. And they know that. And I pray, Father, that through your love and the power of the Holy Spirit, when no one, no one, not the preacher, not the people that love them the most, has been able to break their stubborn will, I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit tonight would break through. And that person would say, not my will any longer. Yours be done. I want to be born again. So I must die in order that I can be born again. And I'm asking that in my life. May that be their prayer. Oh God, these are your moments. As we decide yes or no, would you speak as only you can to those that need to hear and for those that you've chosen tonight to speak to. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.